Welcome to the X Report. I'm Raven X, and alongside me, as always, is Biggie, aka Ethan Tate, aka somebody who I'm interested to know. Did you watch the Thursday night game this past week between the Giants and uh, 49ers? And if so, what were your thoughts? So I had every intention of just keeping up with the score, and I was like, oh, I just jump in at the second half and by the time I jumped in at the second half it was like 30 to 12 and I was like yeah there's no point in watching this yeah not gonna lie to you you really didn't miss all that much um it was an absolute blowout uh if I had to give any takeaways I would start with the 49ers Debo Samuel um, yeah, I would say that Debo Samuel looked really, really dominant in that performance, had over 100 receiving yards. Pretty much it didn't seem like anybody on the Giants' defense really knew what to do with him. And even though I wouldn't exactly say it's totally what we saw a couple years back when he was playing that wide back position, but I do think we are starting to see some of the best sides of Debo Samuel. And then for the Giants, I mean, the offensive line played a bit better than it did week one. But, dang, that offense just looks really, really ineffective. Like, Darren Waller, they brought him in. He was pretty much a non-factor. As many people would guess, without Saquon in the mix, the run game was a non-factor. It was just – it was an ugly day for the offense, and Brian Dayball absolutely has his work cut out for him if he wants his team to go as far as he thinks they can go. But we got a cool show for you guys. Um, of course, we're going to recap week two, talk about the massive – injury lists coming around the NFL. Uh, we're also going to talk some NBA action, kind of look at some of the free agent signings, as well as the reports that there are a few teams starting to emerge in the Damian Lillard trade saga and see which team we think has the best assets to get a trade done. And then we're going to close things out with a game believable a buffoonery, saying that teams, the best team in the NBA would smoke any other team in basketball leagues around the world. But before we get to any of that, please be sure to check out theexreport.net. I repeat, theexreport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get things started. All right, so kicking things off with our college football player spotlight, this week, that is going to go to Ohio State wide receiver Marvin Harrison Jr., son of Hall of Fame wideout and Indianapolis Colts legend Marvin Harrison. Uh, Little Harrison is making a legacy of his own at Ohio State. Widely considered to be the best wide receiver in the nation in his performance last week against Western Kentucky, helped prove that, had five catches for 126 yards and a touchdown. I mean, it's I would be shocked if he wasn't the first wideout on the board. But what team do you think could use him the most in doing so realistically considering the draft position? Doing so realistically, I am going to go with the team that just drafted his um, quarterback last season in CJ Stroud. I'm going with the Houston Texans. I think I know Demetrio Ryan is a defense first guy, and he likes to play a physical brand of football, the dominant run game. But now that you, it looks like you might have your quarterback of the future. Why not already go? and get the hard part out of the way and parent him over the number one wide receiver and his former teammate. That'd be dope. Um, I think what would make that difficult is the fact that um they traded their their own first overall pick to the Arizona Cardinals. They have the Browns pick 
and everybody knows my feelings on the Browns, but I don't know if they're going to be bad enough to have like a top five pick. But stranger things have happened. Um, I think I'm going to go with a team I just mentioned, and that is the Arizona Cardinals. Hollywood Brown is entering a contract year. They just let uh, De- DeAndre Hopkins go. And looking at that wide receiver court, they desperately need somebody who can take over. And I think that they can really get that in a guy like Marvin Harrison. He's big. He's fast. He has great hands. I think that just with his big playability, he can really do some damage in that offense. Whether or not Kyler Murray comes back, that's a bit remains to be seen. We'll figure that out depending on how what pick they end up with and if Caleb Williams is in the cards for them. But either way, I think that getting a guy like Marvin Harrison in that room makes that offense much more explosive. But all right, let's go ahead and move on and start recapping week two around the NFL because what a week it was. So starting out Thursday night football, uh, the Minnesota Vikings fell to the pits, I mean the Philadelphia Eagles in an ugly affair, 34-28. The Seattle Seahawks edged out the Detroit Lions in overtime, 37-31. Baltimore Ravens defeat uh, division rivals Cincinnati Bengals, 27-24. Denver Broncos lose a heartbreaker to the Washington Commanders, 35-33. Bucks edge out Bears, 27-17. Falcons win a tough one against the Packers, 25-24. Indianapolis Colts get their first win of the Shane Steichen and Anthony Richardson era, beating the Houston Texans, 31-20. Your Titans beat the Chargers in overtime, 27-24. Bills beat up on the Raiders, 38-10. Chiefs beat uh, Jags 17-9 in a rematch of the divisional round of last year's playoffs. Uh, 49ers beat Rams 30-23. New York Giants completed a crazy second-half comeback against the Arizona Cardinals 31-28. Cowboys beat up on the Jets 30-10. Dolphins beat Patriots Sunday Night Football 24-17. New Orleans Saints spoil uh, Bryce Young's home opener, beating them 20-17. to Browns lose to the Pittsburgh Steelers. However, they suffer a bigger loss in Nick Chubb, uh, but lost that game 26-22. to I win 11-5. A pre- big ups to Malik, a.k.a. X-Report OG, coming back. Um, he was 9-6 and on his predictions. And now to probably the least fun part of the show, Let's talk some injuries. Starting out in Baltimore, our starting slot receiver, our Darius Washington, is headed to IR with a chest injury. Uh, Saints running back Jamal Williams is set to miss time with a hamstring injury. Steelers placed wide receiver Deontay Johnson on IR. He'll be out for at least the next four weeks. Uh, Lions lose running back Dave Montgomery with a quad injury, as well as safety Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, who is believed to have suffered a torn pec. Um, Texans lose... Uh, Young cornerback uh, Derek Stingley with a hamstring injury. His return is TBD. Uh, Panthers lose starting linebacker Shaq Thompson for the year with a fractured tibula. Raiders place uh, edge rusher Chandler Jones on the non-football illness list as they claim he's going through a mental health crisis. Y'all know who we feel about the mental health here at the Export. Prayer is up to him. Um, Cardinals lose safety Buda Baker. He's headed to IR with the injury. Uh, we mentioned it a little bit ago, talking about Thursday night football. Saquon Barkley is out for at least the next couple weeks with a high ankle sprain. And now probably two, arguably the two biggest injuries of the week. Just this past Thursday, it came out that cornerback Trayvon Diggs for the Dallas Cowboys has suffered a torn ACL ending his season. I know you and I have kind of talked about how good is Trayvon Diggs really, but in my opinion, I think from the first two games of the season, this might have been the best ball he had been playing. And so just how big of a loss is it for this defense that looked like arguably the best in the league not having him in the fold anymore? 
I mean, I think it's going to be a big loss simply because Trayvon Diggs is a guy, like you said, he, he's played better overall coverage at the beginning of the season. But I think the real piece that you're going to miss, he's a guy that's going to get his hands on the football and create turnovers. And I think that's a key stat when you have a dominant defense. Like, you have defenses that can stop the run. You have defenses that can kind of control the pass. But when you're a defense that can do one or both of those and you can also get turnovers, that's when you become like one of those truly special units. And he's a guy that specializes in getting turnovers. And I think that's what's going to – that's what they're going to miss the most on that defense. Yeah, I agree. And so I'm sure no one would have predicted that he would suffer an injury to this extent. But they did trade for former All-Pro, former Defensive Player of the Year, Stephon Gilmore, while he's a bit up there in age. I think he's still going to be solid as their number one corner. But this is the rest of their uh, cornerback group. They got Deron Bland. Um, Noah Igabine, who they just traded from uh, Miami. Jordan Lewis is still there, and Eric Scott, Nashawn Wright. How how confident in you in this cornerback group that they can still be successful and maybe create those turnovers that you mentioned without digs in the fold? I'll say I'm moderately, um, I moderately believe in them. And it's not necessarily because of the cornerback group itself, but it's because of their defensive line. Because when you have an all-world guy like Michael Parsons that can create havoc, and you have a um, dang it, Tang Lawrence, not yeah, uh, yeah, uh, Demarcus Lawrence, yeah, yeah, Demarcus Lawrence. I don't know why I said Tang. I'm thinking about boxing. No, that's his Demar- nickname. I think I think on social media it's, you go by Tang. Either way, I know okay. exactly who you're talking about. But yeah, and you have a guy like Demarcus Lawrence, and you have other guys that can rush the passer from different positions on the defensive front, like, you're still going to be able to create some turnovers because you're going to have quarterbacks that throw errant passes. And as long as your quarterbacks, I mean, cornerbacks are able to catch the ball, they'll they'll create turnovers. But I do know that if it was Stephon Diggs, I mean, not Stephon Diggs, but Trayvon Diggs still intact, it would be a lot more. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, Jordan Lewis is solid as a slot corner. I'm very interested to see who gets that outside corner spot. I'm thinking maybe Noah I, um, if I had to bet. But, yeah, I think you hit on the head. long as, you know, their defensive front can create havoc and make it hard for quarterbacks to have a lot of time, the secondary shouldn't be asked to do too, too much. I think they're going to get exposed a bit more than before because, I mean, they still got to go up against some great wide receivers, not just in the NFC uh, east but just across the league but I think it's gonna I think they'll be okay but nowhere near as good as they could have been had Trayvon Diggs been in the fold but all right let's go ahead and turn things back to Nick Chubb's injury um just a really gruesome hit that he sustained um in the red zone against the Steelers um no official word on exactly what it is but it is definite that he had suffered multiple torn ligaments. And apparently after the first surgery he has to get, it's a chance he's going to have to get another surgery a few weeks after that. Now, going beyond just how great of a runner Nick Chubb is, just how big of a blow do you think this is for the Browns? Or do you think that they're going to be able to overcome his absence? I think this is a huge blow simply because, in all honesty, like I know that they have – Amari Cooper, 
and I have David and Joku. But Nick Chubb is the Browns' offense. I think they're a farewell bringing in Kareem Hunt because he's a guy that has shown that he can be productive on their team in this prior year, and he could be a guy that can replace him in the starting role. But Nick Chubb is arguably one of the top three best, I'll say top five, best running backs in the game right now. And when you pair it with personal feelings aside with Deshaun Watson, a guy in Deshaun Watson that hasn't shown that he's been able to regain the level of play that he had a couple seasons ago, you're going to need to be able to rely on someone. And Nick Chubb was that guy. Yeah, I mean, I even with Deshaun Watson there and like Amari Cooper, hands down, Nick Chubb is the best offensive player on that team. And I think that losing him is the biggest blow that team could have been dealt. Like, Miles Garrett is amazing. He is terrific. But they brought in guys like Zadarius Smith to help help that pass rush. Jim Schwartz has done an amazing job of finding ways to help that defense get pressure from all sides. However, Nick Chubb is that guy, been that guy, has been their best offensive player since he got drafted in 2018. And so you mentioned Deshaun Watson. I mean, I don't know how much of that game you watched, but he looked like crap. He did not look good at all, especially after Nick Chubb. Yeah, especially after Nick Chubb went down. And, you know, props to Jerome Ford because that brother was running hard. Kareem Hunt, like you mentioned, he already knows that offense, and he's solid. But I think that I know we talk about running backs and just where their place is in the NFL, but I kind of look at Nick Chubb as one of those irreplaceable pieces just because of just everything he does for that offense and what he means truly to that offense. And so not having him on the field I think is a huge blow that I don't, I think their offense has a chance to still be fine. I mean, you're paying Deshaun Watson $230 million fully guaranteed. That brother better step up. He better play like he's worth all that money. And as of right now, we haven't seen it. And so I think all the pressure now is really going on his shoulders. And, again, taking out my personal feelings, just based on what I've seen from him these first couple of games, even kind of going back to some of what we saw in the preseason and his games last year, I just haven't been impressed. So I just I don't think they're going to be able to do it. But uh, so you mentioned Nick Chubb. How do you think this uh, – I mean, not Nick Chubb, I'm sorry, Kareem Hunt. How do you think he's going to fare as that starter? They uh, Coming off, uh, Kevin Stefanski mentioned that Jerome Ford was going to be their number one guy, but obviously they bring in Kareem Hunt. He's a more versatile guy and knows the offense. How do you think this run game is going to be? Because with Nick Chubb, they had one of the best run games in the league. Where do you think they end up? I think they might end up somewhere middle of the pack. Like I could see them being like a top, if best, a top team at worst, like, 15 type, just because I think that Kareem Hunt is a serviceable guy, and I think that Jerome Ford showed that, in, at least in the absence of Nick Chubb in that game, that he's a capable runner. I don't think that they'll have, like, a top five rushing attack simply because you don't have your most dynamic piece in the backfield. I feel that. All right, let's go ahead and move on to our takeaways from week two of action. You want to start? You want me to start? How you want to go? I'll let you start. All right, bet. Starting at number five it is a takeaway from that game. And I'm going to say Kenny Pickett's early play is a friendly reminder to everybody that the preseason really does not have much bearing on how the regular season is going to go. 
even though a lot of starting quarterbacks around the league ended up not playing at all during the preseason, Kenny Pickett got some snaps. I mean, he looked pretty good. I think he completed all of his passes against the Falcons in that last preseason game. And it had people really hyped up to see what he's going to do once the season started. And to be honest, he's looked very mediocre. I think that the Steelers' defense, obviously they still have some issues. The run defense still has some problems. But, I mean, they're still serviceable enough to help them out as we saw this past week. But the offense has to help carry the load. You're not getting much from Najee Harris. You surround uh, you surround Kenny Pickett with a better offensive line, or at least on paper it seems better. You know, you bring in a guy like Allen Robinson to help things out. And I understand that Deontay Johnson is hurt, but I just have not been impressed by Kenny Pickett. And he has to play better if this team wants to actually make a chance, uh, I mean, make a run at the playoffs. All right, my number five is if it wasn't hot before the season started, it's definitely hot now. Brandon Staley is on borrowed time in Los Angeles. Um, Again, I watched the whole Titans. Chargers game. Basically, that's the only game that I fully was able to watch this past weekend. And to see how everyone wanted to put the blame on the offense, but it was also the defense that was very pedestrian. And to see how, like, they weren't able to muster up the players that they needed to make. And he kind of didn't take chances on going, going for it and key for down scenarios that could have potentially won them the game. I think like we can look up and depending on like where they are mid season, he might be out the he might be out the door. I mean I said it after that Jags game. I'm still surprised he didn't get fired after that wild card game. Like I'm I'm shocked that they didn't get rid of him then. Um my number four takeaway is mentioned in the Jaguars. The Jaguars are good, but not ready to be considered a big dog in the AFC. I think that when you look at the weapons that they have compared to the other teams in the AFC South, it's easy to see them as favorites. I understand that. But do I think they're better than the Chiefs? No. And the Chiefs proved that this past Sunday. Do I think they're better than the Bills? No. Do I think they're better than the Bengals, even with the 0-2 start? No. I think that the Jaguars are one of those teams that they feel like they're good and they're on the precipice of doing something really great, but they just, they're just missing something. Something is not clicking in order for them to get over the hump. And at this moment, I can't precisely tell you what it is, but I'm just not ready to anoint them as that next great AFC team. I think they're like on the tier below. I mean, you know how I feel about the Jays. I said at the beginning of the season that I still don't fully see them winning the AFC South. Um, I know, I think they're a good team, but I definitely agree with you. Where I don't think they're like the big dog, the next big dog, because they Trevor Lawrence is good, Calvin Ridley is good, but I just think that for one, their defense has to get better, and like it's levels, and they aren't on the level of a Buffalo, Cincinnati, or Kansas City. But my number four is whether it's coaching or whether it's Justin Fields himself, someone has to take the full blame of the situation in Chicago. Um, we've seen, at least for these past two weeks, that they brought in DJ Moore. Everyone thought that was going to be a key part of being a turnaround for Justin Fields. And he looks like the same Justin Fields as old. Um, 
we also have seen the clip with Devin White where he dapped up DJ Moore and was like, dang, you using you the right way. He was like, yeah, I know. So, is it coaching or is it the quarterback? Who knows? But this isn't what everyone expected going into the season. Like, we were expecting a kind of a leap. I know that that, from my end, again, to mention the preseason, that leap was kind of in question because everyone was making all this hype around Justin Fields and DJ Moore. And, like, all the highlight players came on basically wide receiver screens, and DJ Moore did all the work. So I, I think, the again, to go on the, the same path of Brandon Staley, but this season might be the last one for Justin Fields in Chicago. Yeah, I mean, it's – yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's like – I know a lot of people had a lot of high expectations for the Brown, – I mean, not Browns, the Bears. And I get it, you know, Justin Fields, even though the wins weren't there, you saw what he did. He was explosive. He was making game-changing plays. He, But then again, he still made silly decisions through picks, like didn't look that great as a passer. But you spend your first over, I mean, your first round pick on Darnell Wright to help that offensive line. You bring in a guy like Yannick Ngakwe, DJ Moore comes in. You're expecting to see a leap. And honestly, they might score a little bit more points than they did last year, but this offense still looks very, very pedestrian. So, yeah, I think that as of right now, if I had to pick, I think that Matt Eberflus is going to end up, their head coach, I mean, is going to end up being the one who gets cast aside first just because the coaches are always the scapegoat. But I think that I'm kind of like you. I think that uh, Justin Fields is on borrowed time because if he continues to play like this and if the Bears have a high enough draft pick, I think they're going to have a hard time not looking at their options, especially because they could have did that this year and decided not to. Um, But my number three is sticking in the NFC North. The Packers need Aaron Jones. Again, we kind of talked about just how irreplaceable Nick Chubb is for the Browns. And not to say that Aaron Jones is on that level, but when he is not on the off in that offense, it looks very, very different. A.J. Dillon as the lead back was fine. I mean, had 15 rushes for 55 yards, averaged 3.7 yards per carry, and had a um, – and was targeted once in the passing game, but that's not really his game. What makes Aaron Jones so explosive is not only his ability to evade rushers and hit the holes very quickly, but also he has great hands, and that's a really big help for a guy like Jordan Love. And so just looking at the numbers from top to bottom and just from what I saw from that Packers game, their offense looked very, very mid, for lack of a better word, without that explosive guy, uh, Aaron Jones, in that offense. So the sooner they can get him back, the better. My my number what is this number three? Yeah. My number three takeaway. Um, the Atlanta Falcons so far have probably made the sound that they made the best draft picks and from an offensive standpoint in this draft. Because granted, I talked we and you talked about it off air where people was anointing B. John Robinson and I was like he hasn't done anything on the field yet. But so far since he's been on the field He's looked like a different next level player. And I think that he's been the driving force of them being 2-0 because Desmond Ritter isn't that good at QB. Their defense is kind of okay. But he's been the driving force, in my opinion, of their high start. And as long as he stays healthy in the NFC South, who knows what they might look like in that division. I don't know if I would say it looks like they have the best – 
rookies or these offensive rookies brought in, especially because B. John is fine. Like, this past week, B. John was great. I'm literally going to mention B. John in a few minutes, like, on a positive tip. But, like, he wasn't the conversation from week one. Tyler Algier is. I think their run game is really, really good with that two-headed monster. And then when Cordell Patterson comes in and the creative ways they use him, I think they're going to be really, really dynamic. But, yeah, I think that that run game is definitely running the show because Desmond Ritter is doing nothing. Um, Next up for me, my number two is, speaking of the run game, the Jets are not good enough to abandon the run even when things aren't going well. You and I kind of talked about it with Brees Hall uh, when he was asked what went wrong, why went they win, why didn't they win the game? He said he only got four carries. I get it. Maybe if you want to have Brees Hall on a bit of a pitch count, okay, that's cool. But four carries is ridiculous. I understand it was a tough game against the Cowboys, and the Cowboys did a great job against the run. But nobody trusts Zach Wilson enough for him to throw the ball as often as he did. That man threw the ball 27 times and had three picks. Honestly, I'm not saying I would have stopped passing altogether, but I definitely would have ran the ball more than what? Five, six, nine, like 15 times all game. There's just no way I would have let that ride. So I think the Jets, if they want to at the very least stay afloat, they have to get the run game more involved. Yeah, I actually completely agree with you. Um, simply because, like, from a passing standpoint, you don't have the talent or the offensive line um, protection to pass way more than you run the ball. Like, the Jets, the way that they're formulated right now, your game plan is you're going to have to run the ball and use the run to set up the pass. You're going to have to use play action. You're going to have to let those big bodies kind of move around and create um, holes for your run game so then they can settle into the pass game. And also, again, like, to go back to your nod in the preseason, so far in the regular season, Zach Wilson doesn't look like the guy that he looked like he was in the preseason. So you're going to have to do things to complement the fact that he's looked very incompetent as a passer in the regular season. And the key point of that is going to be the run game because your defense is going to do their job. But you also have to give your defense a chance and not going having short drives. And when you pass the ball, like 70% of the time, you're going to more than likely get a bunch of three and outs and you're going to tire out their defense. And I think that's what happened against Dallas. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Um, yeah, moving on to uh, my number one. I'm going to say the Ravens offseason additions are coming up big early. And I'm not – shout out to Odell. Happy he's there. But I'm not even talking about him. Nelson Aguilar had a great game. And I'm not going to lie, when I heard we brought him in. I was very skeptical of that just because he's had so much up and down play throughout his career. But against Cincinnati, had that 17-yard touchdown, finished the game, leading all wideouts with 62 receiving yards. Uh, Zay Flowers has been an absolute joy to watch, and I think that him and Lamar Jackson's connection has been 
very evident. Had a 52-yard bomb um, this past weekend as well. And honestly, probably the biggest addition, I would say, is Todd Munkin. Just seeing the way that this offense is really starting to come to terms with his offense and switching things around from the playbook that Greg Roman had for the past several years. They're becoming more balanced. They're becoming more efficient, especially on those third downs when everybody knows that they have to throw the ball. It's been a really big treat to see the way that they've come together and understand. I'm excited to see what more they're going to be able to do as this season goes on. My number one is, and I'm going back to, actually no, my number one is Kirk Cousins get a lot, gets a lot of unnecessary grief and flack when it comes down to some of his performances. Yes, he has had moments where he doesn't, where he hasn't showed up or he's made a costly decision that cost the team a game. But in the context of this game against the Eagles, it wasn't Curtis' fault. Like, that brother did what he had to do, and his defense has let him down. And I think he's ultimately going to end up getting traded. And if he gets traded to a team that has a better defense and still have good weapons around, I think the narrative around Kirk Cousins might change. How I, yeah, I, I definitely feel you on that because I, I would say his defense let him down. I think they had like four turnovers collectively. You cannot have that many turnovers and expect to win. But Kirk overall had a great game. Um, you weren't on the show last week, but he was my player to watch. I want to see how he bounced back because the last time they played the Eagles, he looked like crap. Um, in that Thursday night game. And this year he looked really, really good. Just ill-time mistakes just collectively really hurt them. So, yeah, I don't – I think the Vikings end up turning it around and he doesn't get traded. But if he does get traded, I think that he is going to be a massive upgrade for almost any team that he ends up going to. But, all right, let's go ahead and move on to our most impressive uh, offensive and defensive players. I'm going to cheat. For my offensive player, it's not exactly a player. I'm going to go an entire unit. I'm going to say the Ravens' offensive line. Week one against the Texans, I mean, shout-out to Jonathan Grenard and Will Anderson. They were getting some pressure. They were looking really, really good, making some great plays. Um, I think they ended the game like four or five sacks. Fast forward a week against Cincinnati, who are no scrubs at all in their front seven. Trey Hendrickson is really good. Um, Sam Hubbard, DJ Reader, et cetera. The Ravens' O-line only allowed one pressure for Lamar. And mind you, they were down two starters. And Lamar had arguably the best game he's had in years. So I'm going to give props to them. For me, offensively, my my player that I look forward to seeing was Ryan Tannehill and the bounce back. Um, being honest, I have a, I'm a mixed bag when it comes down to Ryan Tannehill as a Titan starting quarterback. In certain essences, I I like him and I think he's still capable of doing the job. In other instances, I'm like, okay, it's time to move on to one of these young guys. But coming off the disaster that he had in New Orleans, I was leaning more towards the okay. Let's see. And let's see what we might have in Malik or um, Will. But what did he do? He bounced back, had a, a great performance. And I also, this is also a snuggle or smuggle pick. I also just really want to say that the whole entire offense did well because they did the thing that I felt like they should have done from the beginning of the season. 
which is they use the run instead of the pass, very similar to what I talked about about the Jets. They use, the reason they were able to get those huge big ball plays that helped seal the win eventually was because they all came off the play action. And that's the type that's the way that the Titans have to play. Like they're gonna have to run the ball. You're gonna have to give Derrick Henry his touches. Ty J Spears looks like a guy that's gonna be a good complimentary back to Derrick Henry. Like you're gonna have to get those guys the touches and then you can look to set up play action to hit Traylon Burks on seventy yard bombs and Chris Moore on like a forty to fifty yard bomb and look to get the ball to D Hop in a contested case situation. All right, uh, moving on to my most impressive defensive player. Feels sacrilegious going with T.J. Watt back-to-back weeks, but, I mean, he's a bad man. Uh, Had two tackles, a sack, fumble recovery for a touchdown, and I think what impressed me the most is that, as it was announced during the game, that he now has the most sacks in franchise history, which is crazy to think about. Like I was telling you, with all the iconic defensive players who have put on the black and gold, and for T.J. Watt to already be their leading sacker at 28 is insane to me. He is Right now, he's the best defensive player in the league, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm doubling back on you. It has to be T.J. Watt because, again, like – not even the fact that he has the most sacks in the Steelers' history, which is an astounding feat in and of yourself. But when you look at the Steelers' defense, when T.J. Watt is on the field versus when he's, when he's not, it's a completely different unit. Because going into that game against the Browns, I was kind of worried because it's like, well, they don't have Cam, and he's a top player on the side of the ball. What is that defense going to look like? And, yes, they gave up some plays. They gave up 100 rushing yards. But the defense still was able to make plays, and a lot of it came because of T.J. Watt. Yeah, T.J. Watt and Alex Highsmith are a crazy duo. They are so good. Um, All right, moving on, though, who would you say was the most disappointing player for you this past week? Most disappointing? Um... I'm going to have to say Najee Harris. That's fair. Um, I'm going to go Trevor Lawrence. I mean, this was a huge opportunity to make a statement. And, I mean, it's not like the Chiefs were, like, running away with this game and the defense was just playing an immaculate game. He had opportunities, but he just weren't, wasn't able to capitalize on them. Finished the game, uh, completing only 22 of 41 pass attempts for 216 yards, uh, had two fumbles, lost one. I think this was a chance for him to make a statement, and he just he said nothing. All right, moving on to Rookie of the Week. Rookie of the Week, I got to go with B. John. Yep, we are in agreement. I also have B. John Robinson, uh, 172 yards from scrimmage against a tough uh, Packers defense. Definitely got to give him his props. But all right, let's go ahead and talk some news around the league, starting off with a couple of retirements. A uh, nine-year NFL veteran linebacker Christian Kirksey has announced that he is retiring, as did a uh, former Super Bowl-winning offensive lineman Laurent Duvernay-Tardif. He is retiring as well. Uh, he had opted out during the 2020 season to work in a long-term care facility uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic, so props to him. Uh, also, safety Marcus May is suspended for the next three games um, after violating the NFL's policy of substance abuse. 
All right, moving on to some signings heading to Kansas City. Patrick Mahomes, he was already getting paid. And for those of you who don't remember, a few years back, he signed a 10-year, $450 million deal. And as the years have gone by, so has his spot in terms of quarterback rankings and money. That has now changed. Um, him and the front office have reworked his contract to where he will be getting $210.6 million between 2023 and 2026, which is the most money in NFL history over a four-year span. Uh, his compensation for those years are now all guaranteed. Um, and according to uh, ESPN, they will be revisiting the rest of his contract in 2026. So props to them for getting their money. Um, and also, the Minnesota Vikings, the team we mentioned a bit ago, they've made some moves. First, in signing guard um, Dalton Reisner, providing some a nice veteran presence to their interior offensive line, and then making a trade for disgruntled running back Cam Akers. How do you like this move for the Vikings? Um, Alexander Madison was expected to be the guy. It hasn't exactly been smooth sailing, so what do you feel like Cam Akers' role is going to be in this offense. Apparently, he's not going to play this week uh, just so they can give him a chance to get used to the playbook and get acclimated to everything. I think it's going to – I mean, I feel like it's going to be a running back by committee approach. Like, I don't think either guy is necessary unless, like, as the season progresses, they kind of um, set themselves apart from the other. I think it's going to be a running back by committee. But I do think that, like – Cam Akers could be a guy that can make some plays. He can get you some tough, hard-earned yards. He can also get you a couple of explosive runs in there. And I think for him, it'll just be good to finally get out of the Rams' backfield where it seemed like they never really wanted, like, liked him after he came back from his ACL injury that I feel like he came back way faster than he should have to try to help the team out. So I think for him, it might be a good um, redemption story because he might be able to get his career back on track. And that's one of the interesting things about Cam Akers is the fact that, yeah, he had that ACL injury and it kind of knocked him out of that 2021 season. But when he came back, like he looked like a totally new guy. I mean, he came back, averaged around almost 50 yards a game, didn't do too much in that Super Bowl. But, I mean, the fact he came back by itself is pretty remarkable. And then, like you mentioned, it it, it never really seemed like the, the coaching staff was all for him because, like, it was just so many stop and starts. Like, yeah, he'd start some games, he would get a lot of carries. Other games, he wouldn't see the ball much. But last year, he closed out the last three games of the season with – 100-plus yard rushing performances, averaging over five yards a carry in each of those games. I don't think you get that type of performance with somebody who doesn't have talent. And so I think that this trade, we could look back in a few months and be talking about this trade as a major steal for them just because of the ability that he has and now that I think he's going to get that opportunity to show it because Alexander Madison is fine. But I think that if I'm thinking of who has a higher ceiling, I think I would say Cam Akers. And so because of that, I think that, like you said, getting a fresh start, getting a new offense and an offense as potent as the Vikings, I think that this could be a great opportunity for him and his career. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to our game of Believable or Buffoonery. And we're starting out with Coach Prime. 
Um, I mean, he has been probably the best thing to happen to college football since maybe the advent of the college football play, the college football playoffs. I mean, he has been a lot of fun because I can't think of how many people I know because I wouldn't had he not been there. I'm not staying up till 1.30 to watch him in Colorado. I mean, Colorado and Colorado State play a game. That's never going to happen. But it's the Coach Prime effect. I think this was like the fifth most watch game ESPN has ever had something crazy like that and I mean so we talk about the impact he's had on college football but what about the NFL Sean McVay in a recent interview was asked if he thought that coach prime would make a good NFL coach and he said absolutely he's done a great job um at the I'm sorry I can't talk he said he's done a great job at a bunch of different levels he's a motivator while Coach Prime has already said he has no plans of coaching NFL, he likes it in Boulder, believable or buffoonery, one day we will see Coach Prime in the NFL. We'll coach in the uh, NFL. I'm going to say buffoonery because I feel like as a coach in the in college, you get way more freedom and flexibility to run your program the way that you want to run it than you do in the NFL. Like in the NFL, you still have to answer to the owner. I mean, we've seen countless times before where it's been owners that have uh, disagreements with coaches and it's been sick and it's been like backlash. So I'm going to say buffoonery. Like literally the only way I could potentially ever see Coach Prime coaching in, um, in the NFL is if he went to the Cowboys because Jerry Jones will let him do whatever. Yeah, I'm saying buffoonery as well, and it's not because he's not the man. And I think he could have success at the NFL level, but like you said, it's just so much more micromanagement. And also, it's harder to get players to buy in. Like, even with NIL and some players are making a lot of money, for these young kids, these teenagers, early 20s, oh, my gosh, you're Coach Prime, you're Deion Sanders, you're an NFL Hall of Famer. That carries so much weight. Whereas in the NFL, it's harder to get guys to want to play for you just because you're a big-name player. A prime example, uh, Mike Singletary, Hall of Fame linebacker, one of the best defensive players, best linebackers especially, to play this game. However, he struggled to get players to buy in. And, of course, he's not as charismatic as Coach Prime, but I think who you are coming in just doesn't carry as much weight. And I think if you're a guy like Coach Prime, I'm sure there's a bit of ego involved as well where it's like, nah, like I want to go somewhere where the world revolves around me. If Coach Prime went to any NFL team right now, the world is not going to revolve around him the way that it does in Colorado. So, yeah, I'm calling buffoonery on that as well. All right, keeping things in the state of Colorado, though, the Denver Broncos are 0-2. Not a great start to the Sean Payton era. However... It does not seem that the issue is the offense like many people believe it was last year. Instead, a lot of criticisms are coming for the off the defense. Uh, Rex Ryan, following their tough loss to the Washington Commanders, said, their defense is supposed to be number one in the league. And if I was going to be the coordinator, I don't know what the hell is doing now. That's who's letting this team down. It's their defense. It's not the offense. The problem is on the other side of the ball. So, believable or buffoonery, the Broncos' biggest issue is their defense. Um, I'm going to say, I'm going to say buffoonery, in my opinion, one, 
I do think their defense is taking a regression since Jesse James left. But not Jesse James. Uh, Bradley Chubb. No, no, no. The safety. Uh, Justin. Uh, Justin Simmons still there. Crap, he sure is. I don't know why I thought he left. But, but uh, it's hard for me to say. I also, I'm not gonna say. I wouldn't say it's the defense fault. I also think it's hard because when you bring in a new coaching staff, like. It's gonna take time to adjust, and I think they're just in their time frame. And it just it looks worse because Russ wasn't playing to the level that he was playing last season, and people were expecting Sean Payton to come in and bring and turn that around, and that hasn't necessarily happened yet. And I think it's also early in the season, so like some of these could also be like people really overreacting to things. So I'm going to say buffoonery for now. I'm going to say believable. Um, actually, Russ Russ's first two games of this season, particularly this past Sunday, I don't know if you watched any of that game, but it compared to what he did last year, it might have been top three best games he's had. Like looking at that game, the only thing like aside from the BS no call on that two point conversion was the defense played like crap in the second half. And it's pretty much been the story of their season. Like right now, they're allowing the fifth most points in the fourth quarter. Not in the game, in the fourth quarter. They're averaging 10 and a half points to be scored in the fourth quarter. That is hard for any offense to overcome if you're having to try at least to get two touchdowns in order to stay in front. They're allow- Overall, they're allowing 20, uh, their 23rd in points per game, averaging 26. And the passing defense right now is 21st in the league at 233 average yards given up per game. This defense last year, I think statistically, I know was top five in most categories, particularly in run, I mean, passing coverage. In this season, it is a total different ball game. Had their defense played a little bit better, had gotten one more stop, they would have beaten the commanders. Had Jacoby Myers not have gone crazy against them week one, they would have won that game. And so I think it is way too early to be like, oh, my gosh, the defense totally sucks. But in watching as much of those two games as I did, I more so come away saying this defense is going to cause some problems because Pat Sertan is great, but they are really struggling to find a guy beside him to do some damage in that secondary, and quarterbacks are eating it up. So – at this point, I'm going to say it's believable. All right, last thing before we make our game picks for week three. Um, following the Bengals' loss to the Ravens 27-24, uh, it came out that apparently Joe Burrow may have re-aggravated his calf injury, making his status for Monday night's game against the Rams in question. While it does not seem like he's slated to miss this upcoming week, or at least not right now, um, or any additional games, it has many people questioning whether or not that's the right decision. Uh, Shannon Sharp recently spoke on it and said, how many guys in your career have you ever heard of getting healthier during the football season? So, believable or buffoonery, Joe Burrow is making a mistake continuing to play on his hurt calf. I'm going to say, I'm going to say believable. Simply because, like, I know that the Bengals 
are in that position of teams that people consider to be a contender. But if your level of injury isn't helping your team win games, like you might as well just sit out, get fully healthy, say, you know, they win like maybe two to three games. Say you you lose you leave for like a game or two and they go one and one and then you come back and like you guys go on a tear. You can still make the playoffs. So I think that this in my opinion, I think for him at least, he should sit down. Yeah. Um I agree with you. I think he is making a mistake. Because I remember we kind of talked about it uh, earlier when Jamar Chase was like, just sit out to like week five and we'll be all right. I knew he wasn't going to sit out the first month of the season, but now looking back, maybe he doesn't need to play this game against the Rams. Because I think that they have what it takes to beat the Rams as is. I mean, just looking at their weapons, I think it's possible. So maybe you sit this game out and then you come back week four when they play the Titans. Because the Titans' pass rush is going to get after it. And that offensive line is better, or at least so far it's been playing better. But still, if you're already hurt, you don't want to be trying to run for your life and then mess around and have Big Jeff or uh, Harold Landry roll up on your calf and exasperate the injury. Not to mention this week, you got to go up against Aaron Donald. And he's still a bad, bad man. So, yeah, I'm agreeing with you. I think it is a mistake for him to keep playing, but do I think he misses more than maybe one game because of it? No. All right, let's go ahead and make our game picks for week three. Uh, Starting off with what should be an offensive juggernaut of a game, the Los Angeles Chargers heading to Minneapolis to face the Vikings. This is very tough, but I think I'm going to go Chargers. I'm going to go Vikings. Fair. Actually... No, no, I'm, I'm going to stick with Chargers, but Austin Eckler not playing is, is going to be very interesting. Um, All right, Buffalo Bills versus the Washington Commanders. I got Bills. This is actually a little tough in my opinion. I'm going to stick up. I, I know that, like, the Commanders, I look at it like a phony 3, what, 3-0, 2-0 team, but – I could be buying too much into. I think they're a, like I think they're a, a better team than people get on credit for. Who's stopping Stephon Diggs? I mean, no one. But who's going to block their D line? They're, the Bills' offensive line is actually pretty good. When I they didn't look that good in the game against New York, and that when I won next week, they bounced back. Who did they play next week? They played the Raiders. They only had to worry about Max Crosby. Max Crosby is a bad man. He and is, so but it's only one dude. <laughs> I I dis I disagree. I think the Bills are I think the Bills are gonna be fine. If if Josh Allen was a pocket quarterback, like a pocket passer, I think it may have been a bigger issue. But I think they're gonna be fine. But you got Bills or Commanders? I got Bills. Uh, New Orleans Saints versus the Green Bay Packers. This is very, very, very tough because I don't know if Aaron Jones is playing or not or Christian Watson. At this very moment, I think I'm going to say Packers just because the Saints offense hasn't looked great. 
and I don't trust their run game to give Derek Carr a lot of relief. So I'm gonna say Packers for that one. Uh, I'm gonna say Saints. I trust their defense a little more. It's a toss up for me. Uh, Atlanta Falcons versus the Detroit Lions. I think I saw that Amon Ross St. Brown is questionable, and I think Jameer Gibbs is going to have a good game. But I, I'm going to give the slight edge to the Falcons. I think they're just going to – I'm just thinking they're just going to keep pounding the rock, and the Lions defense is going to get tired. Yeah, I'm going with Falcons, even though I don't. I don't think Desmond Ritter is a good quarterback. Oh, me either. I, I like. I think they're gonna run the ball like at least forty times, and that's being generous. Uh, your Tennessee Titans versus the Cleveland Browns. I got Titans. Titans. Uh, Jacksonville Jaguars versus the Houston Texans. I'm going Jags. Jags. New England Patriots versus the New York Jets. I got Patriots. I don't trust Zach Wilson against the Patriots. I've seen too many bad games. Yeah, this one made me flip the decision because I had to think about the history. Uh, Denver Broncos versus the Miami Dolphins. Hope I'm wrong, but I'm going Dolphins. Dolphins. Baltimore Ravens versus the Indianapolis Colts. Carolina Panthers versus the Seattle Seahawks. It has already been announced. Bryce Young is not playing. Don't make a difference. I was picking Seahawks anyway. Seahawks. Dallas Cowboys versus the Arizona Cardinals. The Cowboys better win this game, and it better be a blowout. Cowboys. Kansas City Chiefs versus the Chicago Bears. It better be the Chiefs, and it better be a blowout. Chiefs. Pittsburgh Steelers versus the Las Vegas Raiders. Sunday Night Football. I'm going Steelers in an ugly one. Yeah, me too. All right, we got a double header on Monday night. First, we have the Philadelphia Eagles versus the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I think this game is going to be a lot closer than people think, but I'm still going Eagles. I'm going Eagles as well. All right, last but not least, Cincinnati Bengals versus the Los Angeles Rams. Still no word on whether or not Joe Burrow is playing. Either way, I'm picking Bengals. Me too. All right, last but not least, let's talk the offensive, defensive, and rookie players. We are watching uh, ahead of this week of action. Offensively, I'm watching Joe Burrow. We talked about it at length with the hurt calf. Um, don't know if he's going to play, but if he does, can that offensive line keep him up enough so he can pick apart this secondary? I think that they can. Um, defensively, pass or tan. I pretty much think the Broncos defense has been playing like crap. Pass or tan, he's one of the guys considered to be one of, if not the best cornerback in the league. Going up against Tyreek Hill, it's going to be an amazing opportunity for him to showcase who he is and how good he actually can be. Rookie I'm watching is Paris Johnson, right tackle for the Arizona Cardinals. He will be tasked with blocking Demarcus Lawrence, which is not an easy task for anybody, particularly a rookie. And um, in terms of team callouts, I'm not calling out a specific team. I'm calling out the defenses of the Minnesota Vikings and Los Angeles Chargers because I truly believe whichever defense can get a stop is going to be the one leading team to victory. Yeah, for me, offensive player that I'm watching, I'm going to be looking at um, AJ Dillon. I don't know why I was going to say Jordan Love, but AJ Dillon, if Aaron Jones isn't able to go, can AJ Dillon, like, Mend the 
defense and be able to lead, help lead the Packers to victory. Because like you stated earlier, we know that the real heart of that offense is Aaron Jones. But A.J. Dillon isn't a slouch either. Defensively, I'm going to be looking at uh, – I got to keep going with T.J. White just because – the offense hasn't been great. There's been a lot of injuries on that defense. Even Mika Fitzpatrick got hurt in the Browns game. Can TJ still be the game changer that helps win the game? Um, when he's when now it kind of looks like him and Alex Highsmith are like the main guys that are healthy right now. Um, Ricky, I gotta go. We we talked about it, Bijan, just because again, if they're gonna run the run the um peel off the ball, he's going to be a key focal point. Team I'm calling out, I got to call out the Titans because I do not want to lose to the Cleveland Browns. That would, that would be the worst way to start my week. Yeah, we got Cleveland next week, so you know I understand. Alright, let's go ahead and move on to the NBA. Starting off with some contracts being signed. Uh, first off, 38-year-old veteran Todd Gibson is returning to the Washington Wizards on a one-year $3.2 million deal. He is back in the fold for his 15th NBA season. Uh, Kelly Oubre, kind of surprised if he's, a, he's been a free agent this long, uh, is signing with the Philadelphia 76ers on a one-year deal. And it came out that the Los Angeles Lakers have re-signed Jared Vanderbilt on a four-year $48 million extension um, and he's fully guaranteed with the player option on his final season. So congrats to them. Now, while these players were able to get a contract sorted out, Buddy Heald and the Indiana Pacers were not able to. So it seems like the front office is working to trade him before the season starts. So given the opportunity, and sure, an upcoming contract is going to come, but, I mean, Buddy Heald is still one of the top three-point shooters in the Eastern Conference and arguably the entire NBA what team do you think should pull the trigger on trying to bring him in? The Memphis Grizzlies. Just add as much shooting as you can to, for one job potentially comes back. And I feel like you wouldn't have to give up a lot to get Buddy Hill. Like you can give up Zaire and a couple picks and you can get Buddy Hill. I feel that. I have two answers because my first one comes with the asterisk. My first answer is the Miami Heat. I think that regardless of what happens with the Damian Lillard trade, one of the issues that they had in the playoffs, particularly in the finals, was they just did not have enough offensive firepower. And I think that if you bring in a guy like Buddy Hill, he can help to bring that. I know that you kind of have your own three-point shooter in Duncan Robinson, but it never hurts to have more shooters. But if they're unable to bring him in because they're trying to add up assets, for Damian Lillard, which we'll get to in a couple minutes. I think the Milwaukee Bucks should do it. I feel like Giannis already kind of put the front office on blast and said he wants to win a championship. He wants to see the team as committed to winning a championship as he is. What better way to show him that than bring in one of the premier three-point shooters and add another element to that offense that is kind of one note. I mean, when Giannis doesn't play, it looks very, very different. Chris Middleton is cool, but nobody really fears him too much from beyond the arc. Same for Drew Holiday. So those would be my options. All right, let's go ahead and move on to Damian Lillard. Reportedly, 
But then again, a trade has been supposed to happen for months now. But reportedly, it seems multiple sources have confirmed that there are ongoing discussions for a deal involving trading Damian Lillard before NBA trading camps gets underway October 2nd. Hopefully that's true. And while there's speculation about, oh, there's a possible team or the Heat or et cetera, the only other team that has come out and has multiple source support, I'm sorry, sources behind it is the Toronto Raptors. Uh, reportedly, the Raptors have been interested in Damian Lillard. And that the thing is that nobody's saying is that they are one of the teams involved. So let's say it were to come down to the Toronto Raptors in the Miami Heat. Reportedly, the Portland wants Miami to empty out all its assets in a Damian Lillard trade. I'm sure that probably would go towards anybody calling their phone for him. But between the Heat and Raptors, who do you think has more trade capital that would entice the Trailblazers? Uh, I'm going to – I was going to say Toronto um, because if you're pulling, like, you're in the middle of a rebuild. So you could potentially – if you trade that, I know that you want to have – um, I know that you want to build on your young core, your young core being Scoot Henderson, Anthony Simons, Shaden Sharp, but you can get some key pieces. Like, you can get maybe an OG Ananobi, who you can also slip to get more draft picks because he's a highly coveted player that the um, Raptors haven't been willing to part ways with. You probably get, like, a of Pascal Siakam, who I don't, it'll be weird because you'll have two power forwards that play very similar in Siakam and Jeremy Grant. But I think about it from the stance of like, if you're trying to build up assets to help the rebuild, I think you can get better tradable assets from the Raptors than you would from the Heat. Because the only key piece that you'll really get from the Heat it's Tyler Hero. Yeah. And I agree. I would say the Raptors as well. But then my question becomes, if you are the Raptors, how much are you willing to give up and feel like it's not going to be a loss? And when I say that, it's because Damian Lillard, I feel like the thought process, or at least for the Heat is, they look at him like he could be that final missing piece they need to get over the hump and win an NBA championship. Do the Raptors view him in that same way? Because if so, do you want to run the risk of possibly trading a Pascal Siakam or a OG Ananobi or possibly both of them? Because does that make your team significantly better? But I agree with you. I think that they have more assets overall because we already know Bam and Jimmy Butler aren't going anywhere. And Tyler Hero is the best thing you're going to get from Miami, whereas with Toronto – it, I, I think it just all depends on how much they're really willing to give up. Because if they still think they're a championship contender with Dane, do they still feel that way if they have to give up Pasco Siaka? Maybe they could try to work a way in where they could get Jeremy Grant in exchange. Because like you said, it, it doesn't really make sense to have Pascal and Jeremy Grant on the same team because neither of them I think are going to want to play the five. So... It'd be very interesting, but I agree with you. I do think that uh, the Raptors have the better assets. 
But all right, let's go ahead and play our game of Believable or Buffoonery before we get up out of here. Starting off in New York. Now, recently, uh, there was a lot of conversation about who is the best basketball team in New York. Is it the Knicks or the Nets? Well, New York Liberty star Sabrina, I Sabrina Ionesco chimed in on the conversation and said, as far as I'm concerned, we've been playing the best basketball that's been in played in New York City for a long time. So, believable or buffoonery, the New York Liberty have the best, have been the best team in New York for a long time. I won't even say a long time, just the past couple of years. Believable. I mean, the Knicks, like the Knicks, they, they've been a middle of the pack playoff team. The Knicks, they had KD, Kyrie, and James Harden, but they didn't go anywhere. Like the Liberty, like they're one of the top teams in the WNBA, and they have the chance to make it to the championship. So, yes. I'm saying buffoonery. This year, they've been great. But I looked it up. This is their first time being over 500 since 2017. So, I'm going to say buffoonery. Now, if we're just basing off this year alone, sure, I would absolutely give it to the Liberty. But beyond this year, no. The Knicks and Nets may have underwhelmed, but the Liberty have just been bad. Shout out to Sabrina Ionesco, though, and Stewie and Jonquil Jones. They balling, but no. All right. Bring things back to the NBA. We kind of touched on it with the Milwaukee Bucks and Giannis Antetokounmpo's recent comments about his decision to resign. Well, reportedly, um, it's come out, or at least is believed, that the Milwaukee Bucks would have to re-sign guard Drew Holiday in order to keep Giannis Antetokounmpo from moving on. Now, right now, Drew Holiday is currently in the middle of a four-year, $134 million deal that he signed back in 2021. However, after this season, Holiday has a player option and will have to decide whether or not he wants to opt in for the 2024-2025 season. So, believable or buffoonery, Drew Holiday is a key piece in keeping Giannis in Milwaukee. I mean, absolutely. He's a guy that Drew Holiday is a very, very underrated player. Like, I think people um, value him from his defensive standpoint, but just him as an overall player. From an offensive standpoint, I think his offense is underrated because of how good his defense has been. So, yeah, I would say that he is a key piece. And it's just one of those things to where it's like, he's a guy that you've won a championship with. He's a guy that you have chemistry and familiarity with. And I think when you're a superstar play, level player like Giannis, you want to keep that core together and add to that core. I think the hard thing about this situation is is you're not only um, potentially trying to re-sign Drew from another team, you're also trying to re-sign him from retirement. Because I remember, um, I think it was earlier this, this offseason, where it was being rumored that Drew might consider retiring after this season when his contract's up. So, yeah, I think I definitely would say believe yeah, I would say believable as well. And, yeah, I mean, the retirement tip, I think, is a big thing because it's not like Drew Holiday hasn't made plenty of money. It's I think it really just comes down to do I want to keep doing this? Do I want to keep coming out here and playing? Do I want to keep spending that time away from my family? And I could see that. I'll say this. I 
would find it more likely that Drew Holiday would retire as opposed to playing for another team. So I think that would be interesting. And then also factoring how long are you even keeping him in the fold? Is it going to be like a short-term deal? You trying to make it a long-term deal to kind of try to match Giannis? It's a lot of different things, but I agree with you. I do think that he would be a big role in whether or not Giannis would want to stay. All right, a couple more things before we get out of here. Um, Kevin Garnett, as we all know, he won a championship with the Boston Celtics, but he got his career started with the Minnesota Timberwolves when him and Stephon Mayberry were the top duo. However, they couldn't get along. And so looking at the Minnesota Timberwolves duo now of Cat and Anthony Edwards, he had this to say. He said it's about Edwards and Cat moving forward together. They're both the faces of the franchise. This is what Stephon Mayberry and I couldn't get together. So, believable or buffoonery, the Timberwolves' best bet to keep Cat. I'm sorry, let me phrase that. The best bet for the Timberwolves is to keep Cat and Anthony Edwards together if they want to have championship success. Um, being completely honest, that's believable, and the reason being is because the likelihood of you getting superstars to come to Minnesota to play with someone is very unlikely. Like, I mean, years ago, what led to the decision with LeBron leaving Cleveland was because they weren't able to bring anybody in to play for Cleveland. And there's LeBron, who at the time was the best or second best player in the NBA at this standpoint. And, like, you, if you're not a destination type of team, it's going really, to be really hard to bring guys in so your best bet is to keep the guys that you already have there together. So I 100% believe that. Now, I personally don't think they're going to be able to do it. I think at some point one of these guys is going to leave, whether that be via trade, free agency, etc. But which player do you think would be gone first? I mean, right now I would say Cat because he's – his cat is what I think he's in his late twenties, maybe close to being thirty. Something like that. Let me see. Anthony, I am even like you. Cat is twenty seven. He'll be twenty eight in November. So yeah, cat is twenty twenty seven years old. He's he's smack dab in the middle of prime of his career. And if he wants to win, like the likelihood of it happening in Minnesota is slim. So, in my opinion, with his age, he would be the more likely option to leave because, again, like, Anthony Edwards has shown that he probably could be a generational talent. Like, he could be a face-of-the-league-level talent. So, you're not going to be willing to, like, let him walk. You would be more willing to let Cat walk than Anthony. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, you must have forgot that Carl Anthony Towns said that he was a generational talent. You must have hey, forgot we, that. Hey, we all have confidence in ourselves, but when you look at the two on the, on, on the court, it's one guy that stands out, and it's another guy that looks like he's really good, but he's not that guy. You ain't lying. Uh, yeah, I think, and especially because it still just looks so bad. The Rudy Gobert trade, it's what a terrible yeah. Terrible decision, and I think that could also play a role in Cat being the one to get the bounce before uh, what's his name. All right, last but not least, a few weeks ago, Noah Lyles 
it wasn't even the Olympics. I don't even know what the event was. I'm not going to lie to you. But he made mention of he didn't understand why in, when teams in the NBA won a championship, they called themselves world champions. They're not world champions. And while there was a lot of uproar about it, then it died down until uh, the U.S. Team USA FIBA team came in fourth place, which brought up the conversation again about them not actually being world champions. Um, Damian Lillard, in a recent interview, was asked about this and said, if you take the best team in the NBA and just send them on a tour to play in the best leagues everywhere else, they get it smoked. I don't understand what the debate is. So, believable or buffoonery, the best team in the NBA would smoke the best team in any other basketball league. Uh, believable. I mean, when you look at the NBA, the difference in the NBA and all of these other leagues is from what I've seen just being a, a, basically a lifelong basketball fan. In the other leagues, you have guys that are supremely skilled. In the NBA, you have guys that are supremely, the top level guys are supremely skilled and are also like 1% level athletes. You really hardly ever get like those premier level athletes in these other leagues. If just think of it in terms of like college basketball, where you see like certain teams for a while, they aren't nearly as athletic as the other team, and they kind of keep the game close. But then, like as the game progresses and the athleticism factor and like the transition game kind of kicks in, and it turns into like a blowout. And I feel like that would be kind of what it would be like in the NBA. Like, if the NBA, like, let's say the Nuggets, because they won. If they were to play against other teams in the, in the another league, like, I think it would, they would win very easily. Yeah, I, I would say believable as well. But, I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, it's never going to happen. And so it's easy to show that speculation. Like, I understand why NBA champions call themselves world champions. I can understand why that doesn't make sense to some people. But I can also understand why it does. But in this instance, like, I think that the usually, I'm not going to say the best players from around the world always come to the NBA. But most of them do. Do, do they always become superstars and be the best players in the world? No. No. But they do come. It's not like all the best European players stay in Europe. It's not like all the best African-born players stay in Africa and play there. They're coming to the NBA because it is the most well-known, most popular, and arguably most competitive basketball league in the nation, in the country. I mean, not country, in the world. So I see both sides. I think it has merit. But, again, the best team – if we're basing it off of this team alone, this year alone, the best team in the NBA was the Nuggets, who have a European best player. Jamal Murray is Canadian. Some of their best players are international players, and to think that they wouldn't go to other countries and ball out is kind of crazy. So Yeah, yeah I mean, cause, I mean if, if you look at it from the standpoint of, like, But when you think about the other leagues, nine times out of ten, um, the other leagues, 
team is the best team in the, of the leagues, it's one guy that speaks out of like an NBA level talent. For sure. Like, so, like, let's say, for instance, uh, Ser- not Serbia, um, where's Luca from? Uh, yeah, Serbia. So, you look at in the FIBA competition this year, you look at Serbia. Luca was doing his thing, but nobody else is really like that competitive from a standpoint of like, oh, when you play um, American level, like NBA level talent, because the US team, Team USA, played Serbia, um, and Luca sat out because he was injured or because he was he just sat out for whatever reason, and the US destroyed them. So, like. That kind of lets you know, like, you might have that one guy that you can look up and you can compete against him at level talent, but it isn't, like, the, it isn't the same level of talent all the way across the board. I agree with that. Uh, another thing, uh, what's it called? Luka is Slavonian, and uh, Nikola Jokic is from Serbia. Okay, my bad. But still, no, see, you're still right, though. Like, you take him off that team, it's a runaway. And then you look at some of the teams that beat Team USA in the FIBA World Cup. Quite a few of them had NBA players on them. Yeah. So, leave it at that. Um, But that's our show. Thank you guys so much for listening, as always. Please be sure to check out the export.net. I repeat, the export.net um, with articles written by yours truly, fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast, YouTube channel, entitled The X Report. I don't know if the audio sounds weird on y'all, and maybe my laptop is just being weird. If it does sound weird, I do apologize, and we're going to get it right next week. But, uh, Ethan, before we get up out of here, anything else you'd like to say? Go Tigers, go. Tighten up. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, fan, NFL fans that are attending games in stadium, can y'all please stop fighting? Like, I'm tired of looking on Twitter and Instagram like every week somebody is getting brutally beat up. Like, it's not working. Also, rest in peace to the guy who passed away at the Patriots game. Yeah. Like, that stuff is, is like, it's a traumatic and it's a really sad thing. Because, like, I get it. You know, you, you're rooting for your team. You're passionate. You're loving your squad. And maybe another fan is talking stuff to you. Whatever. Like, I'm not paying to get in somewhere because tickets are so expensive and I'm finna fight somebody. Absolutely yeah. not. It's not that deep. It's not. It's not that deep, especially considering somebody literally just lost their life because of it. So, please act like y'all got sense that God gave the common folks. Um, But, yeah, fun fact you mentioned, go Tigers, go, especially today. I had tickets to go to that game against Mizzou, but, you know, life happened and now I'm in Indianapolis and I have to work tomorrow. So, Gave them tickets away, but hope they kick Mizzou's butt. So, yeah, go Tigers, go, go Tigers. We got Arkansas tonight. I cannot say my other thing because they play the team that I work for, but y'all know what it is with that. And, um, yeah, we're going to look up. Basketball season going to be starting. Baseball playoffs going to be kicked off. NFL, it's already week three, which is insane. So, time is flying by, but no better ride to be on my favorite time of the year. Uh, Thank you guys again so much for listening, and we'll see you all next time.